Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day. As best you can, turn your focus to the Lord and to His Word. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Of all the famous lines the world quotes from the Sermon on the Mount, there is one that stands above them all. It is the most used, popular, and quoted phrase out of the Sermon on the Mount by those you know and even those you don't know. Judge not, lest you be judged. Right. They even quote it in the King James Version. How holy. But people even remember this truth, even though it's been misused, misapplied, and misunderstood in every possible way. Declare any objective statement about someone, even if it's objective, even if it's biblical, or about something, and someone's going to say to you, judge not, lest you be judged. But friends, judge not does not mean that we don't react to people, biblically. It doesn't mean that events uh, with sound theology aren't perceived correctly. It doesn't mean that we don't correct moral behavior from God's word Jesus even proves that in the Sermon on the Mount. Take a look at it for a second. Jesus says six times in chapter 5, you've heard it said, but what? I say to you, and that was not judgmental. He calls the religious leaders hypocrites. Hypocrites! And that was not judgmental. He tells his listeners, beware of the false teachers. And that was not judgmental. And in verse 6 today, he calls some individuals dogs and pigs. And that was not judgmental. I mean, you see all these kind of statements throughout the New Testament, and you're like, wait a minute, what's judgmental? Uh, You've got, you know, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, let him be accursed. That's not judgmental. Uh, 2 John uh, 10, uh, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, and that's not judgmental. So what does it mean to not judge others? Well, if you're there, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, treat other people the way you want to be treated as the summation of this paragraph. The first half of it is verses 1 through 6, and I want you to read it out loud with me from your outline. Let's read it together. Everyone together? Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged by your standard of measure. It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, for they will trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear, tear you to pieces. Imagine, this is pretty simple, you've got a broom handle sticking out of your eyeball, and as you turn around, you're hitting people, and you're bashing into objects, but somehow you are so unaware that that eight-foot beam is coming out of your eye that you're trying to take a twig out of somebody else's eye. That's the, the point of this. The image is so clear. The brother with the biggest problem is trying to correct the one who has the smaller problem. 
The one with the serious issue is trying to help someone with the way less serious issue. Uh, If you're a student, imagine you got soaked in gasoline, but you go up to someone who's trying to light a fire. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? That's the imagery you've got here. So look hard, if you would, to understand this particular passage. Let me draw out some obvious observations. Jesus seems to be addressing the believing Jewish community in Israel, there in the Sermon on the Mount, as he references brother, the term brother, in verses 4 and verse 5. You get a sense from Logi that he feels superior to other people and definitely is saturated with self-deception. He doesn't see it. And our Lord calls Logi a hypocrite. And then he probably is calling them in verse 6, pigs and dogs. And that's in the context of do not judge. So what we have here on the Sermon on Mount is that we've already learned that he's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. He's got his disciples around him. Uh, He's got his other disciples around them. And then a large crowd, possibly of a thousand plus people. But every time Jesus taught, there were scribes and Pharisees listening in every time. And so there is an addressing of them in this particular context. The religious leaders and many who are listening to Jesus are trying to keep the oral tradition. And if you've been with us, you know what that is. It's the application of God's word, the application of God's law, ad nauseum. So it's all the applications, and they're living by that and holding everyone to that standard. You all need to live by these applications in order to earn your own righteousness and earn your own way to God, work your way to heaven so that God would be pleased with you and make a place for you in heaven. That's what he's talking about here. So when he taught in Matthew chapter 6, why he launches into this in chapter 7, again, there were no divisions and chapters and verses in the original documents. So it transitions right from Matthew 6 into Matthew 7, and he's just talked about possessions, He's just talked about how people misuse their possessions and then how they worry. Remember last week? About their possessions and worry about life in general. Well, there are religious leaders who would look at that and they would say, you know, you're you're not, you know, you're you're a low life. We're way above that. We keep all the traditions, so we don't worry about this kind of stuff. And they're actually asserting themselves and looking down on those who struggle, who battle. Uh, They're saying, I'm without a battle, and you are with a battle. You struggle with worry, you struggle with possessions, then you're a low-life, less-than-best kind of individual. So they're exalting themselves. They would highlight everybody else's weaknesses, and that's what they're doing in this context. They'd be critical about the failings of others, and they'd even be harsh in their condemnation. They would condemn you for your lack of trust. They would condemn you for your excessive anxiety, your excessive worry. They would just judge you and say, we're better than you because we keep all this, all these applications of law. We're better than others. And so Jesus launches into do not what? Judge. Don't judge. But be warned. Would you be honest enough to say that this can make its way into your life? Yes or no? Would you be honest enough to say that this is something that the church battles with to some degree, yes or no? 
Yeah, it can creep into our faith. When you start thinking that you're right and everybody else is wrong with your theology, uh, when you start thinking that our church is correct and others are just not so good, when, when, when you begin to think that you're doing great with the Lord and those others not so well, or you're in ministry and you're thinking, man, the other staff people, they're not as committed as I am. What happens? Pride slips in. Self-righteousness begins to take over and you're prone to judge. Correct? So what's he say? Point number one, he says, Jesus warns you not to be judgmental. He warns you to not be judgmental. Verse one, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Far too many Christians like to play the label game. You know what the label game is? I think you do. It's easy to play. You just pick somebody you don't like. You listen to what they say, casual comments. You evaluate their behavior, and you come up with a number of negative, critical opinions about that person. You play judge. And as you do, you don't take the time to go to them and find out what's really going on in their heart face-to-face as the Bible commands us to. You don't take the time to dig deeply. You don't get the facts straight. You don't draw fair conclusions. No, you slap that person with a label, and then you make everything they say and everything they do match that label. That's judging someone. And again, the Lord of all wisdom is speaking to the crowd, and he's saying, do not judge. And the Greek word judge means to separate That's what you do when you judge. It means to dispute. It means to decide a verdict. The other forms that are expanded on the word judge is to condemn and to punish. So here, Jesus is practically saying, write this down, judgment here generally means evaluating someone's motives. Evaluating their motives. You're judging them on the basis of what you cannot do. You cannot know another person's heart, and neither can I. This is what's happening to the religious leaders who are listening to Christ, and it did happen in the New Testament church very early on. That's why we have Romans chapter 14, verse 13, let us not judge one another anymore. Don't do it. It's not to be a part. The Bible requires time. When you're making an assessment of a situation, the Bible requires time before you come to a conclusion. Take time before you make a judgment. Do not be hasty. Truth and time, write this down, truth and time go together. They go together. Take the time to process. When there's a conflict, go to the person. Who's functioning biblically? You want to make sure you do what the New Testament commands. Consider previous patterns of behavior prior to making your determination. Understand there are multiple examples of this in the Old and New Testament. In Joshua 22, I don't know if you know this story, but nine of the tribes of the nation of Israel heard that three of the tribes of the nation of Israel were worshiping false gods. This is after they've gotten into the land. This would be a horrific sin. And they all took up arms, the nine of them, and they're going to go butcher and destroy three of the tribes. All their brothers and sisters, they're just going to wipe them out. Now, the problem was, is that nobody asked. (laughs) Nobody went and sought information. And so had they done that, because as soon as they ran into them, about to wipe them out, they said, what's this all about? And they basically said, you're worshiping idols. I go, no, no, we set up this altar to worship the Lord. 
Oh, they had judged them. And appearances, would you agree, can be deceiving. So just like Proverbs 18.13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it's a folly and shame to him. So he not only, you know, wants you to make judgments only after you've gathered information and gathered the facts and heard the arguments. The Lord simply wants you to make judgments, and this is so important, based on the word of God and not human speculation. When you're evaluating a conflict, you want to look, who is in the spirit, who's in the flesh? What's happening here? Are, 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 who's ready to admit sin? Who continually is wanting to talk and make things right? Who, who's careful to accept uh, those who've erred and, and to evaluate their own hearts? Who's doing it the world's way and who's doing it God's way? Very important that you're asking questions. Is this being done according to the Scripture? Because you only want to evaluate according to the Scripture. So human judgment of motives is deadly. It's actually dangerous, verse 1. It's detrimental, verse 2. It's dysfunctional, verses 3 and 4. It's self-deceptive, verse 5. And it's requiring discernment, verse 6. All letter Ds, here we go. First, judging motives is dangerous. It's dangerous. He says, verse 1, what's he say? Do not judge so that you will what? Not be judged. Now, Jesus is trying to tell you that if you're trying to pretend that you can judge motives like God, you're inviting God's judgment on you. That's exactly what he's saying here. Don't play God. You may get it right sometimes, but often you're going to get it wrong or not fully right or totally wrong, but God never misses. Would you agree with that? Christ alone sees the human heart. Christ alone knows what's going on. So there are three main reasons you must not judge in this manner, in this first phrase. Chuck Swinsall says it this way, three points. We never know all the facts about a person or see into their hearts to know their motives. Correct? I mean, only God can do that. 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know this verse. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, secondly, in our fallen, frail, and finite condition, fallen, frail, and finite, we are prejudiced people. We are, all of us, to some degree, which means we're never going to be able to be completely objective in our own thinking. You know, trust the Lord with all your heart, but don't lean on your own what? Your own understanding. So understand, you've got limited perspective. You have insufficient information. You need to have a healthy level of self-mistrust. Are you with me on this? You and I are capable of really calling it wrong. So what does the Bible teach then? In the future, interesting enough, oh, I guess the third point under this is that we judge others, uh, we seek to replace God, and God alone is the ultimate judge. God alone knows everything. So therefore, understand the full teaching of the New Testament, that in the future, you will judge. Did you know that? You will, if you're a believer. Christ says that he will share judgment with his glorified children as we judge others under the great judge. We're going to be administrating this planet under Christ. He says it to the Jews here in Matthew 19. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you also will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In 1 Corinthians 6, 2, or do you not know that the saints will, what? Judge the world. We're going to represent Christ around the world as his rule in his administration as his judge. But until that day, he says, don't judge motives. 
Do not do that as if you knew people's motives, as if you knew their thinking, as if you knew their backstory or their drive, the matters of the heart we do not and cannot know. We don't. It's the height of arrogance to judge motives. He's like this. She's like this. And it's dangerous because Jesus says when you do so, you invite God's judgment. Look at the phrase again. Do not judge so that you will not be what? You're facing judgment if you judge. Motives, not behavior. It's very important that we make that distinction. We're talking about motives here. Somebody comes to you and say, I just robbed 7-Eleven. I stole all their Slurpees. Okay, listen, you go, you know what? You shouldn't do that. You go, Don't judge me. I'm like, no, no, I'm not judging you. You just did it. Okay, I'm evaluating behavior. Are you tracking with me? Now, why he did it, that's the mystery. Okay, dumb, idiot. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Motives, not false teaching. So, Christ isn't talking about accepting errant doctrine, you know, like, oh, I got to accept that. No, you don't. You don't embrace unbiblical living. We judge by God's word. Understand, we do evaluate by the truth and obvious behavior and obvious words, but your self-styled opinions, your preferences, your applications to the scripture, which is exactly where the oral tradition came from, applications of scripture, your preferential standards like the Pharisees and their traditions are not to be the standard evaluation. It must be God's word. Are you hearing me? God's word. So James 4 11 and following reference this. Take a look at it in your outline. Do not speak against one another. Whoever speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law. And I'm going to use word of God to make it help you understand the impact of this. So whoever speaks against the word of God and judges the word of God, if you judge the word of God, you are not a doer of the word of God, but you are a what? A judge of it. Therefore, or there is only one lawgiver and one judge and one who is able to save or destroy. But who are you, Christian, to judge your neighbor? So Jesus clearly is very pointed here in verse 1. If you judge motives, you will be judged by God. Secondly, in your outline, judging motives is detrimental. Detrimental to you. Many feel free to judge others because erroneously they think they're better than others. In some manner, I know more Bible than you. Or I, I went to a better church than you. And I, I, I go to a Bible and went to a Bible college in the past. Or I graduated from the training center and somehow I'm better. Well, the scribes thought they were exempt from judgment. The Pharisees. Because they believed that they measured up to God's standards. They kept, in their minds, all the oral traditions. And so they believed that they were holier, better, higher than others. And the problem was, the oral tradition is all human standard. It's all human standard. And they and the other rabbis like them had established them apart from God's word. So really, they weren't following God's word anymore. They were just the applications of God's word and legalistic standards. And along with the absence of the word, understand, they were also devoid of the spirit. So they were not energized by God's spirit, living by the power of the flesh only. They were judging others, not by judging them by the word of God and the spirit of God. So get this, Jesus says God's going to judge us in the same type of judgment which we judge others. Now, let that hit you. We're, he's going to judge us on the same standard that we judge others. So this is scary. Take a look at verse 2. Look, what's he say? For the way you judge, you will be judged. 
And by your standard of measure, it will be what? Measure to you. That word measure means to quantify. It actually means to take dimensions. All right? You're measuring something. And the Bible is picturing a person who's putting someone else in a predetermined box and making them live up to what you have already predetermined. So you and I, do we do this? Yes or no? Yeah. You know, and you know when we learned it, you guys in the front here? We learned it when we were in junior high. We did. Because in junior high, you saw a smaller kid, and you go, that kid is a wimp. And then you made everything he did and everything he said be wimpy. So he could rock you on the physical education obstacle course and smoke you. But he's still a wimp because you put him in a box. Tracking? That's how it works. You, you look at him and you go, that's a nerd. That's a nerd kid. And so even though he's smarter than you, getting better grades than you, uh, that he's kinder than you, and all these things, you put him in a nerd box, so no matter what he does, he is a nerd. And you make him live up to it. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. The Lord says he puts you in the same box, you nerd. Right? And others are going to measure by. So when you unfairly judge others, you'll be strictly judged by God in the same measure. In the same measure. When you treat people as if you're all-knowing, you understand all the facts, you understand all the motives involved, you're going to be judged by the same, by the true judge. By the true judge. It's hurtful to judge others' motives. You know what Christ is saying here? It's harmful to those of you who judge. It's not just hurtful, it's harmful to you. It is. In fact, it'll come back to bite you. When you fail to show grace to others, it will be difficult for others to show grace to you. Did you know that? When you point the finger at others, you've always got three fingers pointing right back at you. Uh, When you're critical of others, criticism will fall back on you. Pride is detrimental to your heart and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you judging others' motives in this life is manifesting great pride. That's why it's detrimental. Thirdly, judging motives is dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. It's, it's nuts. Judging others' motives is the process of making yourself superior to them in every way, all the while you're condemning yourself. So look at how Jesus spells this out in verses 3 and 4. This is that famous section. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that's where? It's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me help that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. Again, speck here is not dust. I thought that for years. Oh, he's got a speck of dust in his eyes. It's not that. It's a twig. It's a splinter. So it's an issue. It's there. uh, But it's not just dust where you wash your eye out. And log, are you ready for this? It's a building joist. It's, It's a beam that holds a roof up. It's huge. So this is an intentional exaggeration for you to see how ridiculous it is for Log Brother to point out Twig Brother's problem. Uh, The main message, that what the crowd is hearing here is the sin of the critic is way more than the sin of the person he's criticizing. The sin of the critic is way worse than the one that he's criticizing. So how can somebody with a support beam size of a pillar in their eye 
clearly see to help somebody get that splinter or twig out of their eye. Uh, This irritation. It can't be done. The solution is get the log what? Out of your own eye. Take it out, you big fat logs. Okay, get them out. Solution is to take care of your own faults that blind you before you can help somebody else. So, so you can see more clearly and help others to work through their issues of the twig. And, and Jesus says to do anything less, verse 5, is hypocritical. And you know what that means. We've seen this multiple times now. It's the, the Greek mask that they used in the play. It's basically pretending to be somebody that you're not. And these hypocrites are saying, I- I'm, I'm pretending that I have it all together and you don't. So who are these hypocrites? Jesus makes that pretty clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. It's those who pretend and they put on a mask that they're suffering during their fasting. Matthew 23, it's the scribes and Pharisees when he says, Woe to you, hypocrites. He says that repeatedly. So Jesus doesn't say, Hey, just ignore that twig. Just ignore that splinter in someone. He doesn't say that. It's not what he's saying here. No, he wants you to come alongside people who are struggling. He wants you to talk to that brother or sister, that mom, that dad, that that husband, that wife, that child, uh, that friend that are struggling. Christ wants you as Christians to love each other, to help each other. The image of the New Testament in Galatians 6 is to hold each other up. That He wants us to help one another. But what is Christ describing here? It's the sin of the Pharisees who were blind, and the sin that condemned them, that Christ condemned them over and over and over was self-righteousness. They're trying to earn their way to heaven, they're trying to earn their way to God, and they thought themselves superior by their own self-righteousness, and that's the sin of superiority, that's the sin of external faith, that's the sin that relies on self and doesn't rely on God, that's the sin that thinks that your behavior, by that, you're pleasing God and allowing you to condemn others who are not like you. It is that sin that opposes Christ and it opposes the cross of Christ. That sin distorts your understanding of the gospel when you are self-righteous. The gospel asserts a truth that is very uncomfortable for everybody. And that is this, that you're totally corrupted by sin. That you have a nature that's bent to sin and sick with sin. And unable to respond to the Lord outside of him drawing you to himself by his love and mercy and grace. But the self-righteous don't see their own sin. Blinding them to their desperate need for a savior from sin. And the Pharisees had self-righteous logs in their eyes. That's what he's talking about. Which made them failures at helping other people to find salvation, to deal with their sin, and seeing their need of a Savior, uh, they're the ones judging others. Are you getting this? They're stopping people from coming to Christ because of their self-righteousness, and when they come alongside you, they go, we want you to be self-righteous like we're self-righteous, which then condemns you from Christ. It keeps you from Christ. You cannot be self-righteous and come to Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? You can't. You need His righteousness covering you. That's what you need. So look at verse 3, the word notice. You see that word? It means to seriously contemplate this. The Lord wants the logire leaders to think about their own sin because if they don't, there's no way they're going to help others in sin. They've got to come to Christ by His righteousness to help others to find Christ's righteousness. And they're not doing it. They're keeping people from Christ. 
and Christ calls them hypocrites. He calls them out, but he's saying, that's not the way to go. If you go that way, you're going to be condemned, and I don't want you to go that way. So until you get serious about your own sin, Pharisees, Christian, then they will be nothing but hypocrites, religious masks who think of themselves as better than other people. That's why Logi thinks he can say to his brother, verse 4, let me take the speck out of your own eye. Uh, I, I, you've got it figured out. You know, let me help you to get right with God. Uh, let, me, let me show you the way of works salvation, where you can earn your salvation, to gain righteousness, keeping all the oral tradition. And judging motives was dysfunctional. It was keeping people from Christ. And that's why Christ is so strong about it. So, it leads to number four. Fourthly, judging motives is self-deceptive. It's self-deceptive. So what you've got is Jesus describing in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is condemning the superior attitudes of the religious leaders and anybody else who's feeling this way. They're critical spirits. Only those people who look at others to find their faults, their failings, their flaws, their blemishes, their blotches, their sin bents, and they're judging, they're basically demonstrating to you, Christian, that if you're that way, if you're that way, guess what? If you're looking for people's blemishes and blotches and, and faults and failures, guess what? You're going to find them. Can I hear an amen to that? You're going to find them. If that's what you're doing, they'll always be there in your wife. They're always going to be there in your husband, in your parents, in your children, in your friends, in your brothers and sisters, they're always going to be there until heaven. A long time ago, I I said this. And so just take one letter of the alphabet, the letter B. So what you get in letter B, you get bombastic. You get too blunt. You can can be biting, uh, bleak, a buffoon, a blithering idiot, and that's me. That's me. And the flaws are there. And... That's just one letter of the alphabet, and each of us in this room has an entire alphabet full of them. Anybody with me? So understand, those who are full up of self-righteousness, who proudly think they're better than others, are blind to their own sins, blind to their own need, and they will be self-deceived log But the truly transformed, born-again believer, those who mourn over their sin at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and hunger and thirst for His righteousness, not yours, will desire to be a person who recognizes and admits their own sin. And so the Lord says in verse 5, they see it clearly. Circle that word because that's a fact. He says they see it clearly, factual. Clearly means eyes wide open, easily perceived. They show through a person whose heart belongs to Christ. It's going to be clear. They're going to be clear indicators of salvation. So as you deal with others, your first task is to deal with your own sin. No self-righteousness, no condemning judginess towards others. Only then, verse 5, can you do what? Can you help your brother who's got an issue? Uh, Only after you've confessed your sin can you progressively, never perfectly, help a brother or sister with their struggle. So you can help others uh, and, and you can come alongside of them only if three things are true. And you might want to 
jot these down. Three things, very simple. You have to have a right view of God. God alone is the judge who sees into people's hearts. Amen? Okay, right view of God. About all three of you, thank you for amening. Number two, you have a right view of others. Fellow sinners saved by grace, just like ourselves. And three, a right view of yourself. A right view of God, a right view of others, a right view of yourself, that you're still flawed and massively imperfect until heaven. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to come alongside and help others. But does this mean then that you never judge? Does that mean that? It does not. And that's why Jesus brilliantly add point number two to your outline, which is verse six. And that is, Jesus warns you not to lose discernment. Not to lose discernment. Verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is amazing. This command balances and slams the world's view of do not judge. We're not to judge motives of others, but we must discern and we must speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. We must evaluate moral behavior. We must. That which is holy. You see that phrase? That describes what you offer in the Old Testament sense to God in worship. You offer that. The Greek word pearls has this idea of describing biblical truth like our promise of salvation that are found in Jesus Christ. So here's another graphic illustration that Christ is using to get the people's attention and to really drive this home. Don't give holy things which belong only to the Lord to dogs and don't share precious promises to pigs. You you wouldn't give that which you offered to God like an Old Testament offering of meat to a mangy mutt. Nor would you dress up an unclean pig in a string of pearls, real pearls, valuable pearls. In the same way, you and us be wise about People that we bless with spiritual things. Especially teaching the gospel on how to be right with God to those who are opposed in the context of the believing community. Verse 6 is a plea. Verse 6 is a plea. Do not overreact to the phrase, do not judge in verse 1. Verse 6 says, listen, make sure you need to be discerning. Yeah, don't judge motives, yes, but be discerning. And the New Testament, the passages on dogs and swine are pointing to professors of the faith, not possessors of the faith. In the context of the community, he says, don't judge motives, yes, but discern when a so-called believer opposes the character of God. They oppose the word and the teaching of the word of God, when they do that, especially the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, do not wastefully lavish precious truths upon those who are not willing and don't want it, even worse, what they're going to do. And that's just the picture he says, they're going to oppose it. They're going to oppose it. Jesus is actually cautioning his own against sharing holy things with others indiscriminately. We need to grow discerning. Dogs in the first century were not pets. They were dirty, disgusting scavengers, like cats today, okay? (laughs) And pigs were pigs. So you don't give dogs your best offering of the best cut of meat to the Lord, an offering, and you don't give pigs precious pearls. 
Hopefully no one would ever bless, you know, animals like that way with holy food and adorn them with pearls. But Jesus is saying, be discerning and be wise about whether you bless the hostile with precious spiritual truths. And again, I believe he's talking about false teachers in the first century, these scribes and Pharisees and rabbis, etc. Practically, when people not only reject the Bible, this is who he's talking to, but they disdain it. Hear that word? They insult it publicly. They're in the context of Christians, somehow, but they disdain the Word of God. And they, 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 they don't want to hear it, and they hate it, and they want to speak against it. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time with that. You and I have to leave them in the Lord's hands. Now, do you save anyone, yes or no? No, God does. You're the administration of the message. But understand... As always, you need to trust sometimes and walk away from a situation and trust in the power of God's Word, John 17, 17, to sanctify them, or, or the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 10, 17, to transform them. Because he says, if you disregard Jesus in this matter, that's the warning of verse 6, what's it, what are they going to do? Look at verse 6. They will what? Trample them under their feet and in turn tear you to pieces. Two warnings here. Trample means they're going to walk over the truth. They're going to literally stomp on what you hold as most precious. And if you continue, you will suffer the consequences as they oppose you. Remember a time, do you remember this ever? When you were having a discussion with somebody and it got a little heated. Anybody with me so far? And the more you kept talking, the worse and the higher and the more intense their anger became. And you kept trying to insert truth and gracious, and you were almost shrinking, and they got madder and madder and madder. Anything like that? I mean, you don't have to nod your head, but you've, you've seen it. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you had it yesterday. Maybe it was this morning over oatmeal. I don't know. Understand, in that situation, what he's saying here is don't do that. Just walk away. Trust the Lord to work in their heart. Because if you don't, the second warning is they're going to tear you to pieces. And you know what that means? It means they're going to break you. It means they're going to try to... The word has this idea of separating you from God's people. They're going to try to win you over to their opinion. So the believing community is trusting in God's grace and, and, and salvation by faith and by grace in Christ alone. And that they're going to try to sway you from that. And they're going to try to distort you. And it also means... They might try to kill you, which is exactly what they did to Christ. So genuine Christian, do not judge the motives of others. Brothers and sisters especially. Do, though, develop genuine spiritual discernment and wise discrimination as you share God's word and the precious message of salvation by grace, by His righteousness, not your righteousness. So let's take this home. All letter P's, walk with me if you would. Letter A, the priority in relationship is your own heart. Paul charged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Pay close evaluate your heart. Is your heart up to date? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are your sins confessed? Are you aware of your current battles with sin? That your total reliance is on the righteousness of Christ. You have no sense of self-righteousness at all. Even when you're doctrinally right, you're in danger, if you're arrogant, to actually be very wrong. Correct? 
So you want to be very careful. Pay close attention to yourself. Work on your own heart before you go to another. Work on your own heart. Confess three areas of struggle on your own part before you go and address issues. Preface your opinions with others with the awareness of your desperate need for Christ's righteousness. There needs to be a healthy sense of self-concern, self-doubt, that any time you speak of anything that's not all Bible, that you're in danger of going down that road. So, letter B. The main principle in relationships is to treat others the way you want to be treated. That's the focus of this whole paragraph, verses 1 through 12. It's going to end next week. This is the first half of it. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. So if you want unfair judgment, well then just unfairly judge others. And if you want unjust gossip to be said about you, just keep gossiping about others. And if you want harsh slander to stick to you, just keep slandering others. That's the truth of what's being... You're going to reap what you... So, so Jesus said it as a statement in verse 2, you're going to, as, for in the way that you judge, you'll be judged, and by the standard of measure, you'll be measured to you. No one gets away with being judgy, critical, slanderous, harsh towards other believers. You may not get hit immediately, but the truth will be seen in time, truth in time, remember? And God will render it to each person according to his deeds. You're going to have to, and I'm going to have to, give answer to God. Letter C, the posture you take with others is the Lord is right in His Word. It's not what you think. It's not what I say. It's not what I do. It's what the Lord says that's the correct judgment. Can I hear an amen to that? The healthy place to be is to never think you've got anything to offer except for God's Word. When you start leaning on your own understanding, you're in danger. When you start making application, the law that people follow, you're in danger. It's very, very, you got, there's wisdom that needs to be applied to certain situations, but be very careful that it's wisdom. It doesn't matter what my opinions are, what I say, what you say. All that matters is what God says. Correct? And when we speak to others within the frame of God's Word, you're not judging them, you're bringing Christ's perfect assessment to a situation. This is what the Bible would say. God's the authority, not you. God is the judge, not you. And the posture you're taking is to have God's truth trump your opinions, your understandings, your judgments over everyone and everything. Make sure you're always looking, even in conflict, even in struggle, through the lens of God's Word only. Not personalities, not persons, God's Word. Change your posture. Listen, some of you in this room are naturally given to criticism. Don't say amen, but you know who you are. Okay? And you tend to focus on people's sins and their weaknesses and, and critical bents. And understand, even their past hurts. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. The, the focus of your life should be that that person's made in God's image and is precious in His sight. If they're a Christian, Christ died for them. And they're precious to Him in a very, very close and personal family manner. They're gifted in a way that they can put Christ on display in a way that you can't. Don't look for their bents. Don't look for their weaknesses. Uh, they, they Understand that they need the grace of God just as much as you need the grace of God. Can you hear your amen to that? So make sure you adjust your view. Letter D. 
The proper position on judgment is to avoid motives but not truth. Avoid evaluating people on what you think they do and why they do what they do, but stay alert for false doctrine. Evaluate the fruit in other people's lives and what they say. That's okay because they're manifesting fruit. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be judgmental, but we are to pursue those given over to intentional sin with church discipline. And what Christ is condemning is harsh judgment, unjust criticism, and others' internal heart motives. So when others quote your favorite passage, judge not lest you be judged, you say, I'm not judging their intentions. I'm evaluating what they've said and evaluating their motives. No, their behavior, not their motives. You say Christ is the true judge that you'll stand before to give an answer for your life. And letter E, the plan of God is for you to be judged by Christ. So would you bow your heads with me just for a moment of meditation as let me share just some final truth and please, if you can, focus in. Because Jesus Christ, with your heads down and your eyes closed, came as the God-man in humility. His deity was veiled. He appeared only as a man until he rose from the dead, but he came to secure the salvation of his children by taking the eternal punishment and God's wrath that we deserved for our sin on the cross. He took all of what we deserved in all eternal torment forever on the cross. And then he rose from the dead to provide us with new life. When we turn from sin to Christ in repentance, when we depend fully on Christ by faith, our sins fall on Christ on the cross And his perfect righteousness covers us like a giant white robe. And we can stand in God's presence not based on what you or I do, but what Christ has done. He alone is the one who can save us, forgive us, wash us internally, make us new, give us abundant life and eternal life forever. And again, every one of us who know Christ want to obey. We want to live holy. And we demonstrate that by pursuing obedience and pursuing holiness. And those of you who are his children will face him in a judgment of reward for how he worked through your lives while on earth. But those of you who ignore him, claim to know him but don't follow his word, go to church with a self-designed Christianity, have not submitted their lives to Christ, when those folks, when they meet Christ, it will be a judgment that leads to eternal condemnation. When you're not living in submission to Christ, when you claim Christianity but don't live for Christ, when you live and attend church but don't obey Christ, when you want heaven but live rebelliously on earth, when you appear to be a Christian on the outside but don't have Christ indwelling you on the inside, when you stand before him as the judge you must answer to, he will reject you. Romans 2, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy For Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, you will be judged by Christ. Your debt of sin either is paid by him in full on your behalf, or your debt of sin will hang on you for all eternity. Father, thank you again for this time. We pray that you would work in our lives to draw us, make us more like your son. We pray now that you would be pleased with how we respond, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. 
And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.